happy Shepherd Sunday, as it's called. And for those of you who are inclined to pay attention to these kind of things, you'd probably expect this morning's sermon to be all about the Good Shepherd. I mean, think about it. It leads with the collect, and then we have the psalm, our favorite, Psalm 23, and its familiar opening, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Then there's the problematic First Peter reading, and, and I say problematic because it was used to legitimize slavery, but that's another story. But it continues the shepherd theme, and it ends with a little kind of ominous verse, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It's almost like Peter's threatening. You will obey, and you will like it, no matter how much suffering. And finally, the good shepherd from John. It's one of Jesus' I am statements in the fourth gospel. Now, in my memory, this verse, I recall Jesus saying, I am the shepherd. But in fact, he doesn't say that here. Says that a little bit later. He does say, I am the gate, which adds an interesting wrinkle to the reading. What does it mean that Jesus is the gate, allowing us to come in, go out to pasture? So, yes, if you're paying attention, you could expect a sermon about the Good Shepherd. This fourth Sunday in Easter, as I started with, is commonly known as Shepherd Sunday. And I imagine a fair number of my fellow preachers are wading into that topic as we gather this morning. But throughout the week, I found myself not called to the Good Shepherd, but again to the reading from Acts. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we spend so little time in the book of Acts, basically just at Easter. So it's always tempting to unpack that strange work from the writer of Luke. And this morning is no exception. Now, this Acts reading is often known as one of the, quote, socialist readings, or at the very least, a more anti-capitalist statement, captured most memorably in verse 45. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. This radical act, combined with the rapid growth of the church in Acts, seems to describe an otherworldly, almost mythical being so disconnected is it with our current understanding of church and a more limited growth and more often scarcity mindset. But I don't think that's the point. I think, I think a close reading of the scripture actually suggests that the tremendous growth and acts of radical sharing aren't causes, but are in fact effects of being together in church. It's hidden there in the opening line. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. These might be called the first marks of the authentic church, marks that we would do well to apply in our work here at St. Peter's. But before we unpack them, there's something that I feel needs to be clarified. The followers of this new way described in Acts are still very much a part of the Jewish faith. It's emphasized by the, the verse, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple. Now, it's tempting to imagine this temple as an early Christian church, but that's not what it says. So in the keeping with the spirit of Reverend Brandon's remarkable class on undoing anti-Judaism, I think it's important to point out that these believers saw themselves as, well, they saw themselves as Jews in the temple 
with her fellow believers. But there was, however, a different energy, a renewed spirit that they felt in their midst. And that would become the church eventually, but not for a while. So, admittedly, describing the four marks of the church is an oversimplification, and that's on purpose, because it makes it easier to contrast with our own little church here at St. Peter's. Towards hold, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The four marks of the early church in Acts are devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. It's because of these, and not in spite of them, that these believers are called to radical sharing. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So I wonder, how are we doing in our communal life relative to these four marks of the authentic church that we hear about in Acts? So let's start with devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now for us, the best manifestation would be active scripture study. That's the apostles' teaching come down to us, both in our personal and our community life. How might we say we're devoted to the teachings? Not passively reading or listening, but devotion. Acting on them every day. You see, devotion isn't for the faint of heart. And the second mark of the authentic church is fellowship. Now this isn't just about gathering before or after the service to participate in Claire's generous spread in the lobby. But it's about the quality of people's relationships to each other. The quality of people's relationships to each other. And their efforts to include others in those relationships. So is there a visitor who's more than simply acknowledged, but actually drawn into a conversation? A visitor that's made to feel part of the community right from the get-go? Are there members of our community who are suffering silently, either here or alone at home, untouched or unrecognized by this family, the St. Peter's family, without so much as a call or a visit? How do you feel about the quality of the relationships you have with the folks sitting right here next to you? Now, an interesting point about these four marks of the church is that it isn't about the priests at all. It doesn't say the priests led devotion to the apostles' teaching or the priests made sure nobody felt left behind. The marks of the early church were full participation. were meant for everybody. You see, that's the magic. That's where the spirit and the energy came from. So I ask, are you outsourcing your commitment to each other, to the clergy? Especially in the time following COVID, when we lost the habit of coming together, are you depending on each other the way you used to? Do you find yourself rushing in just before service or rushing out just after? When in the before times you used to linger a bit in the post-service coffee hour? Are you engaging the visitor, welcoming back the member who hasn't come to church in a while? Now, the third mark of the early church is the breaking of bread. And this alludes to fellowship, but it's really about the Eucharist. So I ask, is your faith, is our faith and community constantly being fed by the sacrament? So when you think about it, 
The most amazing thing happens when we come together on mornings like these. We literally share in the body and blood of the risen Christ. It's unimaginable, unheard of, unthinkable. We kneel at the altar and eat of the body and drink of the blood of our Paschal Lamb. And I ask, when else in our daily lives do we encounter something so transcendent? And how do we stay present for it? How do we stay aware of it? How do we make it feed our lives? How do we make it feed our community? And the final mark of the authentic early church are the prayers. These early believers spent big chunks of their lives engaged in prayer. And we're told, day by day, they spent much time together in the temple, praying. They're coming together in prayer and sharing with each other. How much of the week do you expect us to spend praying for you? And you should. How much time do you spend praying for each other? You see, this is not for the faint of heart. The believers are described as devoted to these four marks of the church. Devotion. It is far more than an hour or so on a Sunday morning. And I think it's unfortunate that the, one of the outcomes of this devotion is tied all around numbers. So last Sunday we had Peter's first sermon and about 3,000 believers baptized. And this week we're told the numbers who were saved that day. It's unfortunate because it feels our fixation on the number of people here on, it feeds our fixation on the number of people here on a Sunday. Or since COVID, also the number of people who are watching from home. But devotion is so much more than what happens on a Sunday. Devotion is so much more than numbers. Devotion is a feeling, an energy. It's fresh. It's an energy that swept through these early believers. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I've intentionally avoided any commentary around our assessment of the life of St. Peter's relative to these marks of the church that we're told about in Acts. That's something I think each one of us can do on our own. But imagine, though, what this place might be like if we were a little more intentional about our efforts on these four marks of the church. How might being intentional about the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the Eucharist, and prayer create a new energy here at St. Peter's, or here in Conway, or here in the world? Now, it's easy to focus too much on attendance and maybe lament things like numbers, maybe going down or something, or, or the opposite is to make them their own idol of achievement, something to be focused on and sought after. I think that's missing the point. See, the point is what we do together as a community of the risen Christ, not the outcomes. We let Holy Spirit, we let God's grace drive the outcomes. And we simply focus on our devotion to the apostles' teaching. We focus on the quality of our fellowship. We focus on the majesty of the Eucharist. And we focus on the prayers. And then we let God do the rest. At least that's what the believers in Acts did. We're told, and day by day, the Lord added to their number who were being saved.